Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Good to see you. Um, I woke up way too early this morning. Anybody else? Yeah, I feel your pain. And so um, I am hopefully sufficiently caffeined up. But if not, if it gets a little off the trails or I go off on bunny trails, uh, you'll know why. So you can, you know, it might be a lot of fun. You never know. That's Lack of sleep and caffeine are always a wild card. You just never know how that equation's going to go. Hey, today we are closing out a short series called Beyond Christmas. And this series, I don't know about you, but for me, Christmas feels like months ago already. Anybody else? Yeah, it's funny when that week-long inversion hits, right? You're like, where did, where did all that holiday cheer go? But I just have a guess. I have a sneaking suspicion that there is still some of you holding on in the room, and I think you're proud of it, too. And so let me just ask, how many of you actually still have your Christmas lights up? Yeah, I knew you were out there. How many of you still have your Christmas tree up? Yep, I knew you were out there, too. How many of you are like, Christmas nothing, I already made and broke my New Year's resolutions? It's like all in the rearview mirror, yeah. So anyway, uh, we are wrapping up this short three-week series. If you missed it, Jason did a fantastic job launching the series over the last couple weeks. And we started the series asking a question. And for those of you who are regulars around here, we really encouraged you to ask this question uh, when it comes to your family, your friends, your coworkers, and to invite them. And really, the, the, the big question is, is, what if you could take a next step in following Jesus that goes beyond Christmas? goes just beyond coming a couple times a year or coming every once in a while, but really is beginning to seek Jesus and follow him. What if you could take a step that goes beyond a New Year's resolution to re-engage spiritually? What would that look like for you? What, what if Jesus really does hold the answers to some of the common problems we all struggle with in life, like things like anxiety, loss, lack of purpose, What if Jesus really does hold the answers? And we believe he does. We also told you what we don't have is a quick fix or an easy three-step solution, that it's a process. And that's what we're going to finish talking about today. But let me just tell you real quick, next week, I'm excited about next week. Next week, we are launching a new book study, Bible book study, and we are going to preach through the book of Exodus. And if you don't know too much about the book of Exodus, Exodus is the account of God really beginning to reveal his nature and his character to his people. It's all about God. And here's the thing, really knowing God and really beginning to develop a a correct understanding of who God is, who your creator is, will necessarily affect every area of your life, including those areas you might be struggling with, anxiety, fear, how you do your marriage, how you parent. And so this is an incredibly, I'm excited about what we're going to learn as we head through this book. And so I just want to encourage you, invite some friends, invite some family, invite some coworkers, and don't miss next week as we launch this series. Now, today I really want to talk specifically to a group of people in the room. It's going to apply to everybody, but I want to really specifically talk to one group of people in the room. And that is for those of you who are reconnecting with church um, after an extended period of being away, or maybe you've never really connected with God, church, and the Bible, and this is your first time really connecting. And for those of you that are maybe coming back after a long period away, let me just 
take some stabs and guesses at why you're here. Maybe, maybe at some point, church just became inconvenient to you. I mean, sometimes it is, right? I mean, there's football on, right? There's stuff going on. You're busy. Your kids are in all kinds of sports. I mean, uh, you're, you're stressed out. There's all kinds of options. There's, we live in Western Colorado. There's a ton of great things to do on the weekend, right? And maybe at some point, church kind of just became inconvenient. Maybe you, you just like needed to chill out and you felt like, I just need going to stay home and chill out on the weekend because I run hard seven other or six other days a week. See, I told you, I can't count. Um, when I'm sleep deprived. Uh, so anyway, maybe you realize that, right? But you realize now in choosing convenience, you let something go that was actually very meaningful. You traded meaning for convenience. Perhaps that's you. Now, maybe you realize that in the midst of the craziness of life, your kids are actually growing up without a strong spiritual or moral footing. And so maybe this is your story. You just woke up and you said, man, Man, this meant so much to me. I grew up with such a great foundation, and I'm not giving that to my kids. I need to get back to church for the sake of my kids. And that's a great reason, right? Or maybe the last few years were incredible for you financially. They're calling, you know, 100 years ago, uh, going into the 20s was called what? The Roaring 20s, right? And basically, America threw a decade-long party. And after World War I, um, everybody sort of breathed a giant sigh of relief. Finances were great. There was disposable income. Everything was going great, right? And all signs so far are pointing to, we, at least at the start of this decade, we're going into another roaring 20s, right? And maybe the last few years for you have been financially great. They've been really good, but that, you know, the extra vacations and toys that you've been able to buy, and that extra balance in your 401k hasn't done anything for your soul. And you just feel an emptiness. You feel a void. Or maybe we're going into the roaring 20s, but you're like, that does not describe my life. Maybe things have been good for some of these other people, but not for me. And you're just looking for some hope. You're just looking for some encouragement in this time. Or maybe... I bet this describes some of you in the room. Maybe for a season, a year, years, perhaps for some decades, uh, you just got burnt out on organized religion. Maybe this is some of your story. In fact, maybe your wife drug you here, and this is you today. I don't know you, but, you know, your wife's probably elbowing you, so I'll, I'll just look around the room. Just kidding. <laughs> and you're like, ah, you know, yeah, I love God, but I just, I've had it with organized religion. I just, it's just not my thing. Maybe you're like my grandpa. He was uh, an altar boy and, you know, went to Catholic school, got wrapped on his knuckles by the nuns growing up, you know. And then uh, he, he t- tells this story. He always used to say, I got enough religion in the first five years of my life for the rest of my life. And so, you know, pretty much his whole life, he was done with organized religion, right? Somehow faith was communicated to him as a religious system, as a system he had to keep. And, and so maybe my, like my grandpa, you got burnt out on organized religion. But somewhere along the way, you realized why you stepped back from religion and thought, I can still, I'll still connect with God. As you stepped back from what you saw as the church or organized religion, you ended up stepping back from God as well. And your spiritual life suffered 
And in fact, right now you actually feel very far from God. Or maybe you grew up in a religious system or in a church where it was all about rules, checking boxes, do this, do this, do this, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And pretty soon you just said, I'm not good enough. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Or maybe you got hurt in a church. And we use this phrase, the church hurt me, but really it's people, right? Because that's what the church is, is people. You got hurt by some people in, in a church who treated you in a way that made you feel like if, if that's what church people are like, I don't want to have anything to do with this, right? I have a friend who in his teen years, he um, got hurt by people in a church that came across as more about keeping rules than about extending grace. The, the idea that he felt was this place is just for the good kids and because he blew it in a couple areas, uh, he was out of there. I have another friend that he and, his, he and his girlfriend got pregnant. Instead of the church coming around them and supporting them in that time, in those real difficult teenage years, they kicked him out. And maybe that's been a similar experience to something that, that you've had. And maybe you checked out for years. Maybe some of you, you checked out for like a decade. But now you're here. Somebody invited you. There was something different about them. There was something about the way they treated you. There was something in them that you wanted to be like. And you're here, you're giving it another shot. And so here's the thing. However you got here and for whatever reason you're here, I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad that you're taking next steps towards Jesus. And here's what we're going to look at today is this, that throughout the Gospels, Jesus extends a compelling invitation over and over again. And that compelling invitation is simply to follow me, to follow me. And I think this morning that if you could start fresh with your whole experience with God, church, and the Bible, and if you could hear Jesus' words in a whole new way and actually re-understand or understand in a fresh and a new way the whole point of church, instead of an invitation to a religious system or a set of rules, it's an invitation to a whole new way of relating to your heavenly Father and a whole new way of experiencing life in community with others. And here's the encouraging thing, is that Jesus extends this invitation to follow me to every kind of person imaginable. If you're the person that thinks, I'm walking through the doors of the church and you really have this little fear in the back of your mind that the the ceiling might fall down, um, if that's you, I've heard that, I'm a pastor. I don't know why people think that. I've never seen it once in all my years pastoring. But I hear it, you know, that's, that's just the thing, isn't it? And if that's you, Jesus extends this invitation to follow me to every kind of person imaginable, to rich people, to poor people, to religious people, to irreligious people, to people who have blown it so bad they think they don't have another chance, to some people who we would look at and go, wow, I'm really even surprised that Jesus would issue this invitation to them, to very surprising characters. And one of the most surprising characters of all of them is the author of the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew is the first text, the first book in the New Testament. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 9. And so Jesus is doing ministry in the northern part 
of Israel called Galilee. He's ministering to people all over. He's super famous. He's been doing miracles. He's preaching the good news uh, that the kingdom of God is upon them and, and that new things are happening and get your heart right with God because you want to be part of this amazing thing that's happening and all these amazing miracles are happening. Jesus is super famous. Everybody knows. Everybody's talking about Jesus at this time. And during this time, Jesus goes, and just like every other citizen, he has to pay taxes to the Romans, and so do the disciples. Because about, oh, um, what is it, 63 BC, so I don't know, I can't do math when I'm sleep deprived. So 90-ish years before this, Pompey rolled through, and the Roman Empire took over the whole kingdom of Judea. And so they're basically a vassal state, which means they get to pay lots of not only their own taxes to live in their own country, but they get to pay a bunch of taxes to these Romans who came in and took over. And so in the midst of this setting, Jesus has to stop by to pay his taxes is probably what's happening here. And so he walks up to this guy, Matthew. And here's how you see this, Matthew 9, 9. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. And tax collectors were people who actually bought the privilege to collect taxes from Rome. I mean, there were all kinds of taxes extra they had to pay. Port taxes, custom taxes, sales taxes, taxes when Rome would go off and and do war, taxes to build the palaces and all, all that kind of thing. Lots of taxes, right? We don't like taxes, do we? Lots of taxes they had to pay. And so these guys would pay Rome to collect taxes because they could basically tack whatever they wanted to tack on top of these taxes, skim it off the top, and really enrich themselves. So here's how you would feel about a tax collector, just so you can understand how they felt about tax collectors. Um, Let's say Iran, they're the big bad guy on the world stage right now, right? Let's say Iran gets powerful and they take over basically the whole world and roll right through Grand Junction, Colorado, take over the U.S. too. And on top of all of our normal taxes, which you're getting ready to have to pay, right? Um, some of you, actually, you've been paying them all year long and you think you're getting a refund, but that's a whole nother topic for another day. It's not a refund, never mind. Um, you're not getting anything, you already paid it. So I'm just, all right, I, I never talk about politics, so I must be sleep deprived. Okay, here we go. So, so on top of all those like normal taxes, right, um, on top of all that, you have to pay all these other taxes, and Iran rolls in, and they're taxing you for this. They're taxing you to build the bigger, badder premium mosques and palaces and presidential mansions and all that kind of stuff, and the nicest, flowiest turbans. You feel that? And then your neighbor down the street, who you've known since he was that high, you know, you grew up playing together, your neighbor goes and he pays somebody off and earns the right to collect those taxes from you. And he does this. And next thing you know, he's like driving a Maserati. And he is living life in the lap of luxury. You know, he comes in with the bass thumping, you know, boom, boom, boom. The party's going on till midnight. I mean, this is how you'd feel about it. you just like, Ugh. you got that? Okay, that's who Matthew is. Matthew's that guy right there. They were shunned by culture. 
I mean, you wouldn't hang out with that neighbor, would you? You wouldn't invite him over for Thanksgiving dinner. They were shunned. They were ostracized. They couldn't go to the temple and worship. They were excluded from all that. In fact, the, the priests, the religious people, even taught that they could not even pray and ask for forgiveness and be forgiven. They were seen as that bad. And of course, this led to all kinds of broken relationships. You think of the family relationships that are broken, all the support of community that was broken. In fact, the only people that would hang out with these people were other people, notorious sinners, which is why in the scriptures, you always see them grouped together as tax collectors and sinners. And sinners was sort of this blanket category that included um, all kinds of various sinners, but primarily um, ladies of ill repute. And those were the only people they would, they would hang out together. That's who your community was. That's who your friends were. That's the only people who would hang out with you. And so Jesus walks up to Matthew, who's sitting in the tax collector's booth. Now, what do you think, Matthew, what do you think he's going to say? I know, I think I know what Peter is, is thinking about saying. Or maybe he wasn't going to say anything. He was just going to stick up his nose or spit at the guy, right? I mean, I can just see them walking up, and Jesus is here, and he's got kind of his boys in the back. His boys are kind of like looking, because they grew up in this area of town. They might have known him as they were growing up. They might have ran into him, and now he ratted out on them. I mean, they despise the guy. And Jesus walks up to Matthew, and here's what he says. He says this, follow me. Verse nine, follow me, he told him. Follow me. And you can just see like Peter in the background just like choke. <coughs> like, what did he say? And they start whispering back and forth. What? Follow me? I mean, you know, if, if they were Jesus, they would have walked up and said, man, I am so ashamed of you. You had so much potential Anybody remember Vintage 21 Jesus? Sinner. No, none of you. Just me. Okay, we'll move on. From that. <laughs> so he says, follow me, right? Jesus says, follow me. I can't even imagine what the reaction from the other disciples is. Because follow me, this isn't just like a, hey, man, just follow me around kind of deal. This is an invitation to come be part of what Jesus is doing, to come actually learn from Jesus follow him, and then begin doing the things that Jesus did. Typically, people would apply to a rabbi after they went through religious school. Incidentally, most of the guys Jesus chose as his followers flunked out of religious school at some point because they were out doing normal careers by the time Jesus came out and called them, right? And so these guys, you know, at some point, these weren't the cream of the crop. These weren't the guys that, you know, these weren't the Ivy Leagues. These were just normal guys. And so this was a huge honor. You would apply to a, a rabbi, and then the rabbi, if they thought that you had what it took to learn and become like them, they would call you to follow them. And you would sort of join their crew and do everything they did, when it, go everywhere they went. And so this was a huge honor. This was a huge honor. He was inviting him into community. He was inviting him into to be part of something, to be part of the mission. It's almost unbelievable, right? And Matthew, 
I think, in a daze that says, and Matthew got up and followed him. <laughs> like, what else are you going to do? This is what you dreamed about as a little boy. And then you flunked out, and you made some really lousy decisions. And before you know it, you, you sort of sold your soul, right? I mean, Matthew's not proud of his lifestyle choices. He's not proud of this stuff, but man, it's become convenient for him, all the extra money, and he's got some party friends at least, but he's not proud of that. And all of a sudden, he is presented with this incredible, incredible invitation. And here's the thing not to miss in this, is that at the heart of the gospel is the truth that Jesus shows up where we are and invites us to follow him. I don't care where you're from right now, what of any of those situations got you here today, but whatever place you find yourself in, Jesus shows up in your life and he is inviting you to follow him. Whether that's to follow him for the first time, whether that's to re-engage in following him, he is inviting you to follow him. Why would he do that? Because he really loves us. He loves you. He loves me. And that's so hard to understand. That God would love us so much that he would come to this earth in the form of a human and die on a cross for us. So that this invitation to become part of his thing, so that we can have forgiveness, so that that invitation can be offered and presented to us. It's incredible. I mean, And yet so many people just say, nah, I don't think so. Now notice what Jesus didn't say here. He didn't say, hey, if you'll do this, if you'll get up and do this and this and this, then maybe I'll come back, uh, you know, in six months and see if you've had, you know, a process of restoration and a bunch of things in your life. And then maybe I'll invite you in and you can sort of hang out on the periphery, sort of a probational period for a while. And then you can come follow me. He just said, "Um, come on, follow me. Follow me. (laughs) I know your life is jacked up. But why don't you follow me and see how your life changes? And I think this invitation must have been simultaneously exhilarating and unnerving for Matthew. Exhilarating because after everything he had done, after the person he had become he still isn't disqualified from being invited to follow Jesus. The invitation goes out to him, but also terribly unnerving because everything he had built, the structure and the security he had built had everything to do with what he could accomplish on his own and what he had built up for wealth and riches. And basically he knew that if he follows, he might have to walk away from all of that. His life didn't have much meaning, but it sure was convenient at that point. Sure was convenient. He had things figured out. You know, he had enough money. He could just pull in, pay the extra fee to pull into City Market and get him just to bring the groceries out to you. He had enough money. He could have home delivery. He didn't have to go out and rub shoulders with any of those icky people, right? Life was convenient. But this was very inconvenient. And yet this gave the opportunity for meaning beyond anything he could ever Imagine, and here's the thing for you and for me. In a way, some of you, you like to disqualify yourselves, and it's a mechanism to get yourself off the hook. You like to say, well, with what I've done, 
or who I've become or the things in my past, I, I could never do fill in the blank. I could never follow Jesus. Jesus wouldn't accept me or Jesus wouldn't invite me to step into this thing that maybe I feel he's calling me to. But here's the thing. Your sin, your doubt, your years of wandering far from God don't disqualify you from the invitation to follow Jesus. You still have to wrestle with this invitation. And guess what? It may pull you away from convenience in your life. It may require some things of you that you wish it didn't sometimes. But it's the greatest invitation ever offered. The invitation to be part of what Jesus is doing to follow him. And so the story continues. And it adds an uh, interesting twist. Matthew asks him, uh, he stands up, I think, in shock and awe and says, okay, where are we going? And Jesus goes, well, let's go to your house. And why don't you invite all your friends over? You're cooking me dinner tonight, Matthew. That's how this starts. Barbecue, your place. Call all your rowdy friends. It'll be a great time. And Matthew's like, okay. So they go over, and they're at his house. And it says this, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Many tax collectors and sinners, they came and ate. And here's the thing you got to know about eating. Uh, eating is an intimate thing in the culture. Jews did not eat with Gentiles because they were scared of getting Gentile cooties. Like, we don't, we're not going to go there, not going to eat with you. It will, we'll be unclean, right? They also did not ever eat with tax collectors and sinners or associate or even want to be in a vicinity where they would touch them because it would somehow defile them, right? That's what they thought. And so Jesus instead says, we're going to go to your house. We're going to eat dinner. And this is not going to be a good thing for Jesus' reputation. But Jesus goes to the place where it's going to allow maximum relationship to develop in a natural way with these people who would otherwise never connect with a rabbi. And it says many tax collectors and sinners. And this is something I love about Jesus. Jesus was so comfortable and so natural with people who were so unlike him. He was holy without sin, the only person ever to be without sin. And yet, he was so comfortable with those who were the most notorious sinners, who everybody else would write off and go, I don't want to be around you. So natural. And what's more is, if you read through all the four accounts of Jesus' life, they loved being around Jesus, which is so unusual. Because I'm a pastor, and, when I, and it's this weird thing. Um, you know, if you're at a restaurant, kind of sitting around a table, and people have a beer out there, and you walk up, right? And it's like, oh, pastor. It's like, come on, dude, right? I'm a dude. Okay, we'll go out for one later. But so, no. But yeah, it's this weird thing, right? Or it's this other weird thing is every time I'm like in a conversation and somebody lets out a four-letter word and they're like, oh, sorry. Like somehow my ears have never heard that before, <laughs> right? And so it's this weird thing. I don't, I don't know. I try not to give off the vibe of like, it's called the holy man myth. It's like, all right, I'm getting off track now. But Jesus, for whatever reason, people who were very unlike him, 
He was without sin. He was holy. He was righteous. People who were very unlike him loved being with him. Loved being with him. And here's what that means. That if you're here and if you're just exploring faith again, if you're just coming to church again, checking this out, here's what this means. If you're with us, church people, and you don't feel loved, you don't feel welcomed, that's not Jesus' fault. That's our fault. That means there's something about us. And see, we, we don't always do this well. We're not Jesus. We, we try to follow our master and be like Jesus, but many times we fall short. Sometimes we fall into being a little judgmental, don't we? But that's not Jesus. And let me tell you, here at this church, our goal is to create an environment where you feel welcomed and where you feel loved. We're gonna always speak the truth. Sometimes you'll feel a little challenged by that, but you're gonna feel welcomed. You're gonna feel loved. You're gonna feel accepted. You're gonna feel like this is a place where you belong and you can take steps towards Jesus. But if you've been hurt by a church because of a bunch of people who did a lousy job of following Jesus, let me just apologize on behalf of followers, of all us followers who sometimes don't do a very good job of it, okay? Um, There's a second part of this that I wanna highlight before we move on to the next verse. They came and they ate with him and his disciples. Jesus brought his disciples in, but see what Jesus is inviting Matthew to and what he's inviting people into is not just a solo individual relationship with him. He's inviting them into community. He's inviting them into relationship. See, here's the thing. Follow me is an invitation to relationship with Jesus and with his people. This is what Jason has been talking about over the last couple weeks, that that as as we take the steps towards Jesus, it's always an invitation both to that individual relationship with Jesus, that relationship with your heavenly father, but it's also always an invitation into real community with others who love him. Imperfect human beings who, yes, sometimes say things that are hurtful, yes, sometimes um, do some lousy things, but hopefully if we're following Jesus, are continuing to be more and more like him every day, right? And it's an invitation to community. It's an invitation to community. And Jesus never intends your faith, your relationship to, with him to be walked out all alone. The idea of you know the monk who somehow just goes up and lives in the mountains, the ascetic that's always up in the mountains by themselves, and the spiritual holy man, that is a myth. Real relationship with God is walked out in the context of community. It's walked out here. Now, Jesus went away for periods of time, got by himself. This is a solitude, is a hugely valuable practice for your faith, but it always is for the benefit of community. So you come back refreshed, revived, and ready to to share his love with community, right? Right? And here's, here's the problem with this idea that I can be spiritual, but I'm just not into organized religion. I can be spiritual. I can have a great relationship with God, but I'm just not into all this church stuff. I just don't do that. I just do my own little faith thing, you know. My church is at the lake on the weekend. Now, I can, there's some weekends. That's, that's a great place to be. And yes, I get it. I go to the mountains. I go to, I, for me, I love the ocean, right? I go to the ocean and wow, that's a place that just brings worship up in my heart. But here's the problem with that kind of thinking is Jesus instituted 
the church. It was his idea. He was the one that says, I will build my church. I will build my church. And I'll tell you more about that word church in just a second. I will build my church and nothing's going to stop it. And it's pretty remarkable that 2,000 years ago, not only did Jesus predict his own death and resurrection, he predicted that there would be people all over this earth who were part of his movement, his church. And so the whole thing is his idea, his idea. And part, part of why this church community and gathering to worship together and hear teaching from the word and encourage each other um, on a weekend like this or whatever day a church meets is because our natural tendency is to drift away from God. And I've seen this over and over and over again in the lives of people who disconnect from church is you got the greatest intentions of I'm going to stay in it and I'll meet with one or two other people or whatever and things will be good. But before you know it, they just begin to wander away from God. And maybe some of that's, that's some of your story is you woke up a year or two or three years or five years down the road and you realize, man, I haven't prayed. I haven't read my Bible. I feel so distant from God. It's because he never intended your faith to be walked out in a solo thing. It was always meant to be walked out in the context of community, in the context of his people. And Matthew's invited into that context. Um, the author of another passage in, uh, in Hebrews says this, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And see, part of the reason this is so valuable is because when you come and are encouraged on a very regular basis, this is those times when you're encouraged. Sometimes I say things that make you uncomfortable, that hurt, say ouch a little bit, um, but you need to hear them. And you're encouraged to love God more. And you're encouraged to dig in. You're encouraged to follow him. You're encouraged to fix some things that the word of God highlight in your life. That's why this is such an important thing. And those who just kind of decide to do spirituality on their own almost invariably drift away before long. But here's the thing. Church is more than just meeting in rows. It's about doing life together. In fact, church, the, the Greek word is this little Greek word called ekklesia. We talk about this all the time. It means movement. It moves, means gathering. It means assembly or congregation. And too many times, and maybe this is whole, your whole thing with, I grew up and church was a spiritual system and an institution. Too many times, church gets viewed as just a place, as a building. And guess what? I love buildings, especially on days when it's in the 20s outside, right? Buildings are great. I'm glad we have a building to meet. I'm glad we were able to build it out and have a nice building to meet in. Buildings are great, right? But church is all about the people. Another pastor I know always closes his services by saying, the church may now leave the building. That's kind of cool because it's the truth, right? The church is about community. It's about people. And unfortunately, church was a... a uh, word that, that came from a German derivative that meant house of God. And in, when they were translating the Bible, instead of the word assembly, they used the word church. And now we're stuck with it. That's okay. As long as we explain it. But it's much more than that. You know, the first day of the early church, 3,000 people joined it. Peter got up, preached an amazing sermon by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
called people to repent and turn to Jesus. 3,000 people. Within weeks, they were up to 15,000 people. That's a mega church. And here's the pattern you see in Acts. They met both in the temple courts, big church, like we're doing here this morning, big church. There's a bunch of people you don't know standing around you or sitting around you, right? And they met in the houses, house to house, groups, small church. That's where relationship is built. And maybe you've been coming to church for a while, but you haven't connected in relationships with others. Here's the thing. All over the New Testament, you cannot miss this phrase, one another, one another. There's all these examples of it. All these things that we're called to do in living out Jesus' teachings, like encourage one another, care for one another, submit to one another, forgive one another, bear with one another, restore one another, carry one another's burdens, pray for one another, love one another. A lot of those things are kind of hard to do just sitting in rows. And that's why one, one of the things we try really hard to do here at Life Community is to create environments where one anothering can happen. One of the biggest places you can do that is in our life groups. It's one of the best places to build relationships that have depth. Because here's the thing. We all know we should be praying with other people, you know. We all know we should be digging into the scriptures. We all know we should be encouraging each other in our walks with Christ. But honestly, if you're not in community, how often does that happen? And that's the value of groups. It turns autos into things on the schedule, things that you do. And there's going to be a time when, trust me, when you're going to really need community. You're going to want a group of people around you that can pray for you and go through what you're going through with you. It's so cool when uh, we have things go down um, and I, I or the other pastors get to go visit people in the hospital. It's so awesome when you go in and there's been like six people already there. Because guess what? You, you land in a hard crisis and we'll do what we can, but we don't know you. We don't know your kids. We don't know your circumstance that well, right? For many of you. That's where the power of a group comes in. And, and the other thing is that idea, you know, the spiritual Lone Ranger kind of idea that I can do this faith thing on my own. Community helps you avoid drifting away in your faith. So often we deceive ourselves. In fact, Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful. And I bet there's some things you might be talking yourself into that if you shared with a group and community of people that actually loved you and encouraged you, they'd talk you out of it. And for some of you, you could have avoided years, a whole season of your life where you were very far from God because you were isolated and you, you were alone. See, follow me is an invitation to relationship with Jesus and with his people. And so Jesus is sitting with Matthew and all his rowdy friends eating dinner. And that did not sit well with the religious leaders. It says this, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, and this is so profound, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. It's not the healthy, but the sick. And understand, this could have been such a put down for Matthew and his friends. I mean, all of a sudden, you have this great dinner guest 
and you've invited all your friends over, and then in front of all of them, he calls you sick. Awkward. And the room might get kind of silent there for a moment, right? But here's the thing. Here's why this wasn't a put down. Because Jesus had the ability to speak hard truth into people's lives without it coming across as judgment. John says Jesus was all grace and all truth, 100% both. We usually lean pretty strongly in one direction. Some of you, um, you know, you're just like, oh, I love you, I love you. But you, you won't even tell somebody, you know, like, hey, dude, I think that path you're getting ready to go down isn't the right way to go. You might blow your life up, right? Others of you, you're just like, Rah! right? And here's the thing Jesus had the ability to do that we can learn so much. He, he simultaneously was full of grace and full of truth. And Jesus calls you where you are, but he's not going to leave you where you are. All the places you've come from, all the circumstances you find yourself in, you need to hear that. Jesus calls you where you are to follow him, but he's not going to leave you there. Matthew isn't going to stay a tax collector. He's going to go on. He's going to follow Jesus into Jesus' greater mission for his life. And some of you, you're going to walk away from things in life and they're going to be inconvenient for you. Some of you are going to get involved in ways that are going to be inconvenient for you. But they're going to be so full of meaning and so full of life. And that's where Jesus wants to call you. He wants to call you to be part of his mission. He goes on to say this, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is his mission. And if you're here and you feel far from God, Jesus came for you. He loves you. He wants relationship with you. He's inviting you to follow him. He wants to heal what's broken in you, to set you free, to give you eternal life. And here's the thing. As flawed as the church globally is, it's still his plan. It's still the thing he is using to reach this world. You and I, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, are his hands and feet in this world. And boy, we know we're not perfect. But yet he calls us and he invites us to be part of this mission to seek and save those who are lost. To be praying for those in our lives, our family, our friends, those that don't know him, to be reaching out in love, to do crazy things like go building a family, a house in Mexico. Those are things he's calling us to do. And so follow me as an invitation to relationship with him and with his people. Wherever you came through those doors, whatever you came through with, He's inviting you to follow him. And for some in the room, this may be for the first time. If for some, maybe it's just saying, you know what? I don't know about all this stuff yet, but I'm going to just say, okay, I'm going to keep checking it out. I'm going to show up for a while. I'm going to engage. I'm going to see. I'm going to investigate Jesus, right? For others, it's, man, you know you need to give him your life. You need to say Yes. You need to, like Matthew, get up 
and leave whatever you need to leave behind in order to run towards Jesus. And he's calling you into the thing. Even if it's inconvenient, he is calling you into the thing that will have more meaning for you than anything you could ever imagine. You know, maybe you need to be here and involved here for for you, not just for your kids. I mean, it's wonderful you're bringing your kids. This is one of the best things. I am so thankful that my parents got me into a great youth group and got me to church all the time, more than I would have wanted to as a kid, actually. But I'm so thankful for it because it set the the course and direction for my life. It saved me from so many decisions that I believe I probably would have made otherwise. But maybe, maybe God has you here for more than just that. Maybe he really wants to connect with you. And then the changes that Christ wants to make, that Jesus wants to make in your life, they take place best in the context of relationship. Because that's what you were made for. You were made for relationship and community and connection with God's people. And so maybe your next step here is just to come, to engage. In a few weeks, we are going to do a church 101. Keep your eyes open for that. And I would love to have a bunch of you come out to that that maybe want to see, is this my home church? And hear all about what we're about. I'd love to have a bunch of you go through that. Maybe for some of you that's serving. You need to get involved and serve. Or for some of you, it's, it's a group. It's connecting. It's taking one of these opportunities that we have here, like, men's group or, or ladies' coffees or a life group. Maybe it's plugging in, making a commitment, like we're going to show up regularly. And not just, you know, for the first few weeks of January, because it's like you do at the gym. You know, unless we absolutely are out of town, we're going to make it a point to be there. Because we don't want to drift like we had last year. It's not a quick fix, not an immediate solve but it can be more meaningful than you know. What if by the end of this year you had stronger gospel-centered relationships? What if your kids are surrounded by a group of leaders who love them and love God and are gonna encourage them to do the same? What if you connected with our um, Home Point Center out there and got some resources so that what starts here at one hour a week or maybe two at the most, you can take home and continue those spiritual conversations and see your kids move towards Jesus, because that's where the rubber hits the road. That's the two working together. What if this could be the year for that? You know, Matthew had no idea what Jesus had in store for him. He had no idea he would go on to write the first book in the bestseller of all time, the Bible. He had no idea that he could ever be called to that. And you have no idea the significance of saying yes to him and what it might do. I'm so thankful in in key points in our lives, in my life, that I said yes to him. I stepped out today, January 12th, marks the seventh anniversary of our very first service at Life Community. And I'm so thankful as I look at lives that have been impacted. Not because of us. I mean, we said yes, but because of what he is able to do through you. When you step out, when you say yes to him, would you stand? For some in the room, I just want to invite you. Maybe you're not ready to give your life to Jesus yet, but I want to, I want to give you the opportunity to say, you know what? I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to keep investigating you, Jesus. And so just in the quietness of your heart right now, why don't you just say that to him? 
Others, you know today's the day you need to give your life to him. This is the year. This is your year. You could pray a prayer like this right after me. Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned. I cannot do this on my own. I ask for your forgiveness. I give you my life. I want to follow you. Give me life. Welcome me into your kingdom. And Lord, for all my other friends, I just want to pray that you would show them what the next step is in following you, where, where you're calling them to, that they would connect, that they would understand, that they would not do their relationship with you all alone, but they would surround themselves with people who would encourage them to walk with you. Pray for our kids and our youth that they would connect to you in a strong way this year. And that we would look back on the, the 20s and whatever our balance looks like or whatever the statement looks like at the end of it, that we go, that was a year, that was a decade of meaning and significance, Lord. Thank you for my friends here. May we follow you closely in Jesus' name. Amen.